All right, so in traditional FASLIFS fashion, we are going to be doing the October Q&A in early November. <laughs> so I'm going to go back to the way that I've traditionally done these Q&As, and that is I'm going to try to get to every single question. So it might take a few episodes, but you know what they say. When you get onto YouTube, one of the first things they say is make content for your audience. And what better content than questions which you guys have asked me. So let's start off and I'm just going to reel off as many as I can before I get bored and we call it a day. So first question is from Ben Mitchell. Thank you for the question, Ben. He says, for the rest of your life, you have to train using either exclusively free weights or machines and cables. Assuming you have access to any piece of kit you would want, which would you choose and why? I can answer very quickly and very confidently, it would be machines and cables for sure. So I was actually having this conversation at the gym today with um, another fellow powerlifter of mine, a friend of mine. And I think when it comes to powerlifting training and barbell centric training, it's very much a, if you fit the barbell, then great. If not, you're going to get spat out kind of thing. Whereas with machines, you can pretty much always find a machine which is going to suit you and is going to work for you. So I would much, much rather favor machines because they will allow me to train quite a lot with a good amount of volume, as heavy as I want to, and all without significant joint pain. This is something which will be a lot more evident the older you get. And I never felt it when I was in my 20s and 30s, joint pain wasn't really something that happened. And weights that I would get underneath, I look back at it now and I just cringe. I'm like, how did I do that? Yeah, you're just a lot more, you're a lot more, I don't know, you're a bit more fragile when you're older. It's just the way it is. So barbells tend to beat up the body a lot more. So I would definitely go with machines and cables, 100%. I think there's more longevity there. Okay, so Leroy says, hey coach, Leroy is a client of mine. Actually, he had an amazing transformation recently. Check out his pictures on, on my Instagram page. Massive transformation. His end goal was to look like Thor. And he was pretty close, actually. So check it out. Anyway, he says, hey, coach, my question will be something that no one usually talks about. That's a good question. Is what you do for a job, should that be a major factor when planning your routine? It's a good question because, Tever, I guess the obvious answer would be to say, yes, you should factor that in and factor in your recovery. But then when you look into that a little bit more, the answer is not quite as obvious. So most of my life, as you guys know, I've been a powerlifter and most of my powerlifting crew were laborers. They were manual laborers, worked in construction or various odds and end jobs. I was probably the only guy who had a sort of a profession or a relatively sedentary career. And, um, it's not always obvious how that's going to affect your training because some of those guys were a lot more robust than I was. They could do, that might be an age as well, because I was a bit older, but some of those guys were a lot more robust than I was. So it wasn't necessarily as clear cut as you might think. The guy who does manual labor all day is going to need to have a routine, which is a bit more low key. Actually, the body is very resilient and the body adapts very well. And some of those guys could outwork me completely. So yes, you would think it would be a consideration. You would think it makes sense. You're out laying bricks all day. You're probably not going to have the energy to train, but the body adapts. It becomes stronger. 
And just speaking very honestly, some of these guys who spend all day behind the desk, they end up being a bit soft. They might need a lot more building up. And I think that's probably the key. A lot of guys I know who come from a very sedentary background, the initial focus is on building the work capacity because the work capacity is awful. I think it's one of the reasons why I got so much out of building my work capacity early on in my life. I built a tremendous amount of work capacity, did lots of volume in the gym, and that really grew me. It was only later, like now, I do a lot less volume and I'm a lot more moderate and I can work on that and I get good gains. But yeah, early on in my life, I responded tremendously well to sky high amounts of volume. And it's probably because I had a relatively sedentary background. So I think in the end, it's probably still a case of finding out your individual tolerance to exercise, whether that's the split you like, the machines or barbells you like, but the last question, or the volume loads, it's probably still going to be a case of, we've got to find what works for you as an individual. It is attractive to try and summarize these big questions by saying, I've got this job, or I've got kids, or I've got this, I've got that. But uh, I don't think it's accurate. I don't think there's really a shorthand way of doing it. I think you have to get down and dirty and figure out what works for you, sadly. But that is the training that Timbo Slice says, do you need to add weight to pull-ups for bodybuilding? I've heard 15 full ROM strict standard pull-ups is quite advanced. Yeah, for sure. You need to add weight. That's, that's pretty, it's pretty standard across the board. I think there are ways of making pull-ups harder for sure. So if you go from 15 pull-ups where your chin is barely touching the bar to 15 pull-ups where you have a wider grip and your chest is touching the bar right the way up, like a Franco Colombo style, then that's progress. And that might take you a year. But ultimately, you're going to need to add weight. There's only so far you can go with your body weight. So yeah, for sure. There are harder variations, but at the end of the day, you're still going to be limited by your body weight once you get to the hardest variations. If you have a 15 pull-ups, wide grip, touching your chest at the bar and pausing every time, then it's going to take you a while to build up to that point if that's your goal. But yeah, eventually you're going to need to add weight to the bar. And I don't see why it would be 100% necessary to continue to work up to these super hard variations when you can just add some weight and it provides you with a nice objective standard. My goal would be decent range of motion, particularly a good stretch. Like it's, we like to, the Franco Columba thing of touching your chest to the bar sounds great and it's a lot more time under tension, which has some benefits, but we get a lot out of the stretch. So as long as you're stretching all the way down, you, your arms are straight, you're retracting your scapula enough and then just start to add weight. The other thing you can do is you can add the pull-ups and the chin-ups at the end of your workout, which is what I do. So typically these days I'll do pull-ups and dips right at the end of my workout. So my reps are a lot lower than they would be. So I'll get sets of eight to 12. My cat's saying hello. There she is. Sorry. Anyway, <laughs> bless her. So anyway, lost my train of thought now, but yeah, to answer the question in summary, I don't think it's necessary to go for these super ROM range of motion. They're very fun. They're a good standard. They're a good community thing. So I don't doubt anybody for doing that. I know Bald Omniman is doing that with a lot of his crew and that's great. It's a lot of fun and he's awesome for building energy and enthusiasm around an exercise. And I really like him a lot, but for me, I'm probably going to sit something a bit more standard, full range of motion, add weight, let's go. Or perhaps do it later on in the workout. So you're forced to lower the reps and lower the load. Okay. Next question. 
All right, we're going to go with the hell's an ex client of mine. It is quite a long question, but actually I've read it before and it's quite easily summarized. Essentially, he stalled out. Okay, that's the thing. He stalled out and he's become a dad a few months ago. Congratulations. His diet's all right, but he's not sleeping a great deal. And he's thinking to himself, is that why he's not gaining? I can absolutely say it is. Yes, 100%. So he's currently, he's, I think he's on a diet as well. He's in a deficit. Protein is good, but we have a situation where, listen, it's hard enough to make gains anyway. But if you're trying to make gains with impaired sleep and you're in a calorie deficit, and on top of that, having a newborn baby, it is a stressful experience. There's a lot more to it than just this lovely cute baby who giggles every now and again. He's crying a lot. He's needs his food on time. He needs his sleep schedule done. Your sleeps, your five, four or six hours of sleep is probably not that consistent either. So yeah, I'd say the best thing you can do is for now, probably not be in a deficit. I just don't think that's a great idea. And I think this is a case where you've really got to reframe your expectations. What's the most important thing right now? The most important thing is getting your baby out of this first couple of years where they're it's just like a lot of effort. So enjoy that and probably put the physique stuff on the back burner. The stuff you should be doing right now is go out for walks with the kid, enjoy new being a dad again and all that stuff. I think right now is probably not the time to be on a diet. Right now is probably not the time to really be focused that much on lifting weights. That is just my opinion. Every, everyone who's worked with me knows when it comes to things like these life events or holidays, I'm quite happy for you to put your life on hold, enjoy the life experience for what it is. It'll never happen again. So enjoy it. Enjoy time with your family. You guys know that by now. I'm a big family guy. I'm a big, big believer in taking care of your family, taking care of the important things in life. And then the weights are always going to be there. Come on. I've lifted weights for 22 years. The gym's always been there. I can come back to it whenever I like. So it's okay to take a bit of a break. Just take the pressure off yourself. Okay. You're a good guy. I'm sure you're going to be a great dad. I'm sure you are a great dad. So just take the pressure off yourself. Okay. Next question is David doing stuff says thoughts on one hit style full body workout every four days. I'm a surgery scrub nurse and have another kid on the way. This seems to be the best option for guys like me. Firstly, congratulations. Another guy with, with another kid on the way, which is great. I did actually reply to David and I've already messaged him and I said pretty much the same thing that I told the previous question as well, which was you've got bigger priorities right now. I don't think you need a system to tell you to reduce the volume a little bit, reduce your time in the gym. I wouldn't call that hit. Like <laughs> hit is blood and guts, um, throwing up and lots of high intensity techniques. All this is just reducing down to more of a maintenance routine. And there is nothing wrong with that. Listen, you've got a baby on the way. You've got a busy job. You're doing the country a good service with the work that you do. And you've got a kid on the way as well. Take the pressure off yourself, right? There are more important things in life. I know I'm saying that, look at me, but there are more important things in life. You've got a beautiful baby to look forward to and you're doing a great job for your country and for the, for your community. Those are the important things right now. So right now, focus on that, but I, I wouldn't call it a hit workout. I don't think it qualifies. Okay. Dan says when losing weight, is it okay to not progress on any lifts? 
yeah, should I just wait until I'm at maintenance to assess if the training is going well? That's what I do. All of my clients will tell you this. When we're on a diet, particularly a diet with a large calorie deficit, so VLCD, or we're in the later stages of, say, a contest prep, I hardly look at the training, only really to see that we're still training and we're not losing reps dramatically. I want to see maintenance. I'm not really that interested in progress at that stage. If you make progress, great, fantastic. But you've got to bear in mind, the majority of my clients are natural guys and they're your regular Joes. They're either working, they're at university, they're just regular guys. They're not athletes. I do work with some athletes, but the majority of the people I work with, they're regular Joes, regular Jills. They've got jobs, they've got families, they've got a life. So if they're in a diet, particularly if it's in the later stages of a diet, or they're on a very extreme diet right from the beginning, I don't really look for poundage progression. I just look for maintenance. And another thing which I, I also have as a line in the sand is something like a 10% strength loss is about my limit. If somebody's doing a rapid, very low calorie diet, I don't want anyone to lose more than 10% strength. If that happens, that's our flag to say, okay, pause, stop, maintenance period, regain a bit of that strength before we move on because that's a little bit too drastic for me. Yeah, hopefully that answers your question. Essentially, focus on your diet, maintain your strength at best. At the very least, 10% drop is what I feel is reasonably tolerated within limits for a natural guy. At that stage, cut the diet, maintain, reestablish your weights and possibly push down further if it's necessary. Okay, Adam says, early intermediate lifter who is focused on long-term physical and mental health benefits of weight training, no specific goals, just focus on squats, deadlifts, bench, row, overhead press. Using variations of these I like and I enjoy, am I really giving anything up? I'd say yes. Yes. <laughs> Probably not the answer you thought I was going to say, but, <laughs> but yeah, if you have the time, there is no reason not to include some specific arm work. Yeah. Some work for the biceps, some work for the triceps. I would say in this paradigm, work for the biceps is probably more necessary, but triceps do get hit quite well with overhead press and bench press. I would still add some triceps in. Why not? So buys, tries, calves are a good idea. Isolating the abs is a good idea. If you really want to get down in the weeds, you could also maybe add neck work. I don't typically program network though, but, um, Here's the thing, we could get into the discussion in quite a long way because this is this is the kind of thing the old hard gainer crowd used to say. Hey, if you wanna get big and strong, don't you think you'll have a big chest when you're benching three plates? And even I got fooled with that argument for a while when I was a lot younger, but what they don't tell you <laughs> is just benching is probably not gonna get you to a three plate bench. That's the rub. So sure. Get to the point where you're benching three plates, you'll probably have a big chest. And I think that's what you're saying here. You're saying you're gonna to stick to a small pool of exercises and their variations. The thing is, Adam, you might need more than that. Maybe the bench press and its variations aren't enough for you to get to your, close to your potential. Maybe you need more. Maybe you need dips. Maybe you need isolation exercises. Maybe every time you do a bench press or an overhead press, you're very tricep dominant. So you need specific work for the chest. I benched three plates. The first time I benched three plates was with a relatively close grip. I didn't have a very great chest. I was only, 
I don't know, 80 kilos, probably fatter than I am now. Yeah, I don't know if I buy that argument. I guess my counter argument to you is, why not do a more rounded routine? Why not? You're in the gym. I've spoken to you before. You seem like an intelligent guy. Why not do something a bit more, with a bit more variety? Why not do something like the wizard? Why not do something like the barbarian? Great routines. They have a great track record. The wizard is my most popular selling ebook. People like it. They get great results. Consider why not? What's the, I guess my counter argument to you would be, what's the argument against using more variety? Is it just a case of you want to keep it simple? I can understand, but then simplicity is relative, isn't it? It's like what one man finds complicated, another man finds simple. So ultimately you have to understand you're only going to unlock as many gains as your current level of knowledge allows you to unlock. It's not all about hard work. And that was very true for me. I worked like a dog to get the lifts that I eventually got stuck with for the first three years. And you guys know my story by now. I was stuck with a 200 pound bench for three years. I tried hard, I bulked, but ultimately what pushed me up to 300 and then eventually 400, it wasn't just trying harder because I was trying really hard. I was a competitive powerlifter with an embarrassing 200 pound bench. I laugh about that now because I can, but every single step of the way, what's unlocked more gains has been increasing my knowledge, leveling it up, not just hard work. And this is why I always push back against people who say, just work harder because it didn't work for me. I had to level up my knowledge. And listen, if you are gifted enough that just putting in more effort gets you all the gains and results that you are ever going to get, then I envy you. I envy you. That wasn't enough for me. I worked so hard those first three years and I couldn't get, ever get past the 200 pound bench. I did everything right. I needed to level up my knowledge. I learned about fatigue management. I learned about cycling my weights and I got stronger. I got bigger. And then later down the line, I learned even more. I hired coaches and I got even better and I got even better and better. For me, every step of knowledge had a direct impact on my muscle and size and strength to the point where I am where I'm at now. And I did what I did. Yeah, that's probably a bit more than you asked, but, but I wanted to add some context is in for the way that I break things down because oftentimes people need detail. And I don't think being able to communicate nuances effectively is overcomplicating things. I often think the people who shout about overcomplication, their hearts are in the right place because they probably deal with people who do overcomplicate things. And those people are out there. But equally for every person who's overcomplicating things, there's another person who's just slogging away over and just continuously hitting a wall, getting injured, getting frustrated because they need to level up their knowledge. There's a balance. So hope that answered your question, Adam, and thank you. Next question is from Thai Spirit. What are your thoughts on hormonal aids for older individuals, say 65 to 70 plus, given the more drastic effects of sarcopenia and referencing people like Dr. Life, I don't know who that is, and his anti-aging products, I don't know what they are, effectively using steroids to mitigate the effects of aging. Okay, so we're talking about TRT then. Okay, he goes on to say he's a strong believer in natural remedies. And I do speak to Ty quite a lot. He's a really nice guy. But he also talks about how 
TRT could be a potential to guard against sarcopenia. Okay, and attempt to mitigate that decline. Now, this is an unusual conversation for this channel, but listen, I'm going to go ahead and field the question. I do coach a few guys who are on TRT. Now, if there's a legitimate medical need to be on TRT and your doctor approves and you have made that choice, then that is done for your benefit. And there are countless research studies to support the idea that if you are genuinely tanked, if you're 50, 60 years old, I heard there's a guy recently, one of my clients who went on to TRT, he lost hundred pounds of body fat, but that left him massively impaired in the testosterone department. His levels were just bottomed out. If there is a, if there is a genuine medical need to go onto TRT and you go onto just enough, that's going to get you to baseline. That's unanimously healthy for you. It's not unhealthy. What a lot of us are warding people against is the abuse, the unnecessary use of steroids to enhance you. This is just getting someone to baseline. And yeah, it's, I think it's a thing. And it's interesting. You specifically mentioned 65 to 70 year olds. Like that's what they say. They say sarcopenia starts to kick in about after 60. So you can maintain a hell of a lot right up to 60. And then there is an inevitable decline. Part of that is probably related to hormone levels. Most things are. No, I don't. I think if there's a genuine need for it, I don't see a problem with it. I just think that most people talk themselves into thinking they have a need for it before they do. You can see it everywhere. People think they're a bit depressed. They're a bit tired, whatever, jump onto testosterone. It's like the new midlife crisis, but what we are, I just want to clarify for everyone, because this is obviously the type of channel it is. What we're talking about here is a medical deficiency, which you cannot recover from. You can't get back from this with just healthy eating or dropping body fat. This is a medical condition. So yes, for what you are asking me about, then I think that is definitely a conversation to have with your doctor. And it's definitely a possibility to explore for sure. So hopefully that was informative. Now, next one by Ty Spirit. Again, another question, and we'll probably end on this because it's a really good question. What are your thoughts on Jeff Nippard's recent minimalist video training protocols? Would you ever program a minimalist routine accepting the drawbacks outlined in the previous videos? And how would that look? Yeah. And he also goes on to say, there's an argument that suboptimal aside, consistency of training factors heavily into results achieved. Okay, so I'll kick off with a personal example now. I, not many people know this, although I have said it on a number of occasions, but people do forget because I think they, they peg me as the high volume guy. I'm not the high volume guy. I am the anti-dogmatism guy for sure. Ask any, ask any of my clients. I don't ever program high volume. I program appropriate volume. We start off at a reasonable base and we move from there either up or, up or down, but I'm not a high volume dogmatist and I'm definitely not a low volume dogmatist. I'm against dogma of all forms. So when it comes to these things, like a minimalistic routine, my experience has been this because I came from a minimalistic background. First couple of years were completely minimalistic routines that there is this misconception that if you do a minimal routine, you're going to get minimal results. And for people who are okay with getting minimal results, then that's fine. If you want to go to the gym, you don't want to look like a supermodel. You just want to get some gains, do a minimal routine. So you'll get some gains. The problem with that approach is it's not true. <laughs> it didn't work for me. Like when I went on a minimal routine, I got no gains. Do you see what I mean? So there is an inherent sort of 
positive bias when people talk about, oh, do minimalist routine because I'm a busy guy, I've got a family, I've got work, so I'm only going to go to the gym twice and I just want some reasonable results. The thing is, when I went into the gym with such little frequency and such little volume, I didn't get some gains, I got no gains. I ran into a wall. Do you see that? Like, it's a really important point that people don't actually, or people seem to forget or glaze over. In these conversations, it's like a trick of language. You just assume and you accept that minimal training time equals minimal results. But minimal results is still some results. And people are okay with that. They go, okay, great. I'll go to the gym twice a week and I'll get some gains. I, and I have to repeat myself here. When I went to the gym such an infrequent amount of time with such little volume, I didn't get some gains. I got no gains for many months until I leveled up my knowledge. And ultimately I learned about fatigue management and the role of volume and I gained. And that was now 19 years ago. So you can see why I'm anti-dogma. And again, I'll just emphasize, I'm not pro-volume. I'm not anti-low volume. I'm pro finding out everyone's individual volume loads, but that seems to be too much nuance for some people. Not you, like you're, you're awesome. I like your questions, <laughs> but some people seem to misunderstand that. So I don't have, I don't have much of a say about minimalistic routines simply because I don't like dogma. I'm very anti-dogma. There is some leeway between, uh, let's say a range where you can gain more or gain less, but once you fall off that range, you gain nothing at all. And that's where I don't want you to be because you have a dogmatic opinion of, I'm going to be a minimalist, minimalist. So I don't think you should, I think you should avoid labels is what I'm trying to say. I don't do labels. If I'm taking a pot shot at hit, it's not because I'm a high volume guy. It's because I'm taking a pot shot at dogma. I think all too often in this, like a psychological trait where people like to put themselves in between two opposing viewpoints. If I say I'm anti-hit, then somebody gets in the middle and goes, whoa, calm down. High volume guy, low volume guy, you're both wrong. I'm right, listen to me. There's actually been research done on this. People do that. They put themselves into the middle of an argument to strengthen their position. <laughs> but sometimes you're not in the middle. Person on one side can be just absolutely wrong. Person on the other side can have a point. So there is no middle there. It's screwed off to this side. Anyway, I'll end there to say that I have actually been discussing with Steve Shaw about putting out some kind of response to Jeff Nippard's um, routine, but I would like to hear from some people who have ran it for a few months and got amazing gains. It would be cool to hear. I would love to hear that in the comments. Like, what did you follow for how long? What level of training were you at? Like, how strong were you? How much, how consistent were you previous to that? What were you, what was the full outcome? Anyway. I'm going to call it there because it's been about half an hour and we'll pick this up in part two. So thank you for the questions.